for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. Hey, happy Summit League Tournament Week, everybody. Matt, happy Summit League Tournament Week. It's the most wonderful time of the year in sports in Sioux Falls in South Dakota. Except for when nobody gets to go to the games and a bunch of star players are missing. Happy Summit League Tournament Week. How are you? I'm good, John. Yeah. Um, do, do you agree with that assessment? It just doesn't. It doesn't quite feel like it's going to be the same. Yeah, you know, I was uh, thinking about it today. Like, I'm excited, but certainly not to the degree I usually am. Like, usually this day, after that Sunday, you know, the bracket comes out, and you kind of wake up on Monday, going, "Okay, this is the week," and start planning everything. I'm usually pretty friggin' excited on that day, and. It's just not quite going to be the same. I mean, I'm kind of trying to talk myself into it, you know, and I'll still get to go to the games mm -hmm. uh, if I want to. You know, some of them I'll probably cover in person. Some of them I'll probably watch from home, depending on what other stuff is going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that event, as cool as it is, and I don't expect the basketball to to, to be any worse off, you know. No. I mean, the, uh, the crossover classic was pretty good basketball-wise, but it didn't feel anywhere near – the same as having, you know, what, what it normally would have been to have SDSU playing USD at the Pentagon in December. You know, normally that would have been a big freaking deal, and it just wasn't because there's nobody there. And now, you know, this thing, the, the first year we had it in the Premier Center, I mean, I remember having conversations with some of the other media folks, not just from Sioux Falls, you know, some of the people from around the conference, and we were all kind of looking at each other like, geez, you know, this is – this is big time. You know, this feels like, like the big 10 tournament, like the NCAA tournament, just the facility. And then on top of it, the crowd, the environment. And when you take that away, it, it makes it feel a lot less big time. Yep. I got to cover a few big 12 tournaments back in college. And then uh, a year or two before I came to Sioux Falls and uh, in Kansas city, the big 12 tournament was in Kansas city. And it, it's, it's really not that different of a feel whatsoever because uh, like the Summit League tournament, some games the place is almost jam-packed with fans and really noisy. And in some games, usually involving teams that are from a little further away, not from the immediate area, uh, you know, it, it wasn't as full, but it was still kind of exciting. Usually, and frankly, Matt, because of the pep bands, that's what I, I mean. That's part of the yeah. part of what I really love about those events is I love the basketball. And uh, regardless of how many people are in the stands, whoever is involved in the game, the players, the coaches, and whatever slim fans like that come from Western Illinois or Denver or somewhere like that, still you can you can hear them pretty well. But during those timeouts, you got the pep band, and yeah, it feels like a real deal. And uh, I'll be I'll be watching these games on TV uh, because I'm not one of the uh, fortunate ones like Matt who deserve a pass in there. I mean, who am I representing this time? Uh, I'll just I'll just be happily watching these games on TV. And uh, for some of you out there, look, there's going to be viewing parties all over the Sioux Empire. I mean, where are a bunch of fans going to get together? There's there's going to be places for fans to get together. And at the Gateway Lounge, 41st Street, West 41st in Sioux Falls. Just off the I-29 exit, of course, they'll have all the Summit League tournament games on for fans to congregate and eat and drink and be merry and enjoy. And uh, so if you're into that and you uh, obviously want to replace the void of getting together in the Denny Sanford Premier Center, might we suggest a place that will have all the games on a bunch of TVs, the Gateway Lounge, plus all their great food and beer. You don't have to walk all the way to a concession stand this time to get your food and your beer. Uh, you'll have it served to you by some of the friendliest staff in all of Sioux Falls. Uh, so uh, you know that'll be that'll be that'll be as close as it gets to that kind of atmosphere for the fans. Um, and then you know I mentioned, well, well, and think of it this way. So let's put ourselves in the in the in the brains and bodies of these fans. Like I said, some are going to be like me. They'll be watching at home. Uh, certainly a lot of people who would travel into Sioux Falls that don't live here, especially those that live near Brookings or Vermillion, 
they're probably more likely to stay home and just watch it at home or the local sports bars in their towns. But um, but once, no matter how that is, okay, it, it's like you as a Minnesota Vikings fan, Matt, or me as a Nebraska fan these days living up here in South Dakota, or a Chiefs fan. I watch most of the games on TV. And sometimes if I feel inclined, I'll go watch with a group somewhere else. But once you're there and you're locked in on TV, but especially if you're with your family and friends and a few people, then uh, then it's just as intense. And, you know, you probably have a couple drinks flowing. So I think for the fans, it's not going to be cool to be in there or it's not going to be very cool not to be in there. It's not going to be as cool as being in there. But the games still mean plenty, right? They've, they've, I'm sure most fans still have the blood boiling pretty good this week. Uh, about what's coming up this weekend. It's still an exciting deal. And let's face it, uh, it's a, it has been a hot ticket for the USD and SDSU games in recent years. Not to say you usually couldn't get one. Very few of them were sold out. But still, you know, there's a lot more people not in the arena than are. So with that being said, a little bit of a buzzkill. You don't have Maya Selen for the Jackrabbit women. No Noah Friedel for the Jackrabbit men. No A.J. Plitzowite for the USD men. Uh, two of them are hurt, and of course we know Noah Friedel's uh, reason why we discussed it last week. He's not playing. So how much does that put a damper on the event? Um, I hate to be a Debbie Downer here. I tried to pep it up with, hey, there are great, there are good places to go, and people well, are still going to be I, into I this. I don't think it's going to like make the games less entertaining. So, and you know... I mean, those are all great players that you mentioned, but it's not like they're, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, LeBron James, that, that you know, they're worth the price of admission themselves. I don't yeah. think, you know, those teams individually will definitely feel the absence of those players, but I don't think anyone watching the tournament will be like, well, you know, this just isn't as cool because A.J. Plitzewiter and Maya Selen aren't there. It's unfortunate because uh, all three of the players you mentioned uh, are significant parts of their team playing on teams that have, a good chance to win this thing still have a good chance to win this thing, but would have a lot better chance if those players were in there. And, you know, nobody likes that. You know, nobody wants, you know, even if you're say a USD women's fan, yeah, that makes it easier for your team potentially to win, but that's not how you want to win. You know, you want the best players to be yeah. out there. So, so that's, that part of it is unfortunate. Uh, by the way, we have a lot of football to get to with the Jackrabbits losing on Saturday at UND. The Yotes beating number seven Illinois State. The Bison losing for the first time, it seems like, in forever. Uh, so we've got all that to get to. We'll kind of have a season wrap on Augie and USF's basketball teams and the Northern Sun tourneys. Zim's takeaways from that. Super busy time of the year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as we look at the Summit League tournament field, we mentioned some of the players from local teams that will not be there. Uh, it, it it did make me go back and kind of uh, look up their stats in the games against their in-state rival. And can, and can, and in the men's case, A.J. Plitzewhite against North Dakota State, which obviously he played but got hurt in the win on Saturday this past weekend, didn't play on Sunday, and the Yotes lost the game, and we can get into that. Uh, this is all very compelling. But yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's start with the men. We'll get to the women in a moment. With uh, with Plitzewhite down, I would think th how much of a bruise does that put in USD's chances of winning this thing? Because they're going to have to beat likely North Dakota State and South Dakota State on back-to-back -back nights. And I think without him, you know, he was averaging about twenty points a game. We saw the Yotes have plenty of firepower yesterday. Score seventy-seven points, and Stanley Amude went for thirty-nine. But uh, I just don't. I just don't see the Yotes winning, uh, winning those two games back to back without Plitzewhite. They might be able to win one of them, which would have to be North Dakota State, but not two of them. I think it. I think it almost killed their chances. The USD men. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that um, them losing AJ hurts the Jacks a little more than hurt than losing Noah Friedel for two reasons. One, uh, they're losing him at the worst possible time. You know, the Jacks at least have had a few weeks now to sort of figure out how to play without Noah Friedel. You know, they knew it a while ago. Okay, we're not going to have this guy. Yeah. Let's move forward and figure out how we're going to do it. USD has a lot less time to sort of figure out their new rotation, you know, get accustomed to whoever's going to step into that role. Um, you know, they have some time to do it. Uh, obviously, they figured it out. You know, Sunday was their first sort of crack at it. Yeah. And now they've got a week of practice, but that's still a lot different. So that part of it hurts them. And also, I just think, I don't think I'm, you know, making any uh, 
bold statement in saying uh, the Jacks are deeper than USD is. Um, that was the reason they were picked to win the league this year was they had all their starters back and they're a pretty deep team. I'm not saying USD has no depth, but they don't have as much. They rely a little bit more heavily on those two players, Stanley Amude and, and AJ Plitzelwhite. Those are far and away their two best players. They just lost one of them. Now, does that mean they have no shot? It certainly doesn't in large part uh, because Stanley Amude is the kind of player um, to a degree that no one, I don't think on the Jacks can, um, can just sort of put a team on his back and carry him. Um, you know, him, Max Asimus, those are really, I think, the only two players in the Summit League that kind of have that Nate Walters, Mike Dom, uh, Matt Mooney sort of ability where it's like, all right, you know, chips are down. I'm going to take this thing into my own hands and, and find a way to do it. Um, he's the kind of guy who can do that. And with that being the case, I don't think you can write off the Coyotes. Uh, but just losing AJ and especially losing him. The timing, like I said, happening right before the tournament, does yeah. that hurt him? Absolutely, it hurts him. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm guessing you watched a lot of that game yesterday, did you? The the Yotes and the Bison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because it, uh, it it came down to USD and SDSU to win the league title. USD wins; they they win the regular season title, get to hang a banner, get that automatic NIT berth for what that's worth. We determined last week, not that big of a deal. No one really remembers the Yotes doing that. Is, is there an NIT this year? I don't think there is. Good question. I don't know. I don't think there is. I don't, I don't think know. there is. So there you go. It was just basically a source of pride. And it would have been a major win just to, for them to be able to do that against NDSU, uh, get, the sweep, get the sweep of NDSU, and uh, it, that, that would have been an emotional win for the team to do without AJ. But Here's where, again, you know, I figured yesterday Amude has to score about 40. He has to score at least 30 to beat the Bison uh, when you wake right up and you don't have A.J. Plitzewhite, to your point, without any time to really get ready for it. And I, I heard Todd Lee on the pregame show, and he said it was one of his worst nights as a coach when, you know, I mean, A.J. Plitzewhite's leg. I refuse to watch the video, by the way. I'm not one that's good at watching those. So, Same. Um, have you seen it? Did you or no? Yeah, and I'm same reason. Yeah, and so he said it's one of the worst nights he's had as a coach. And I don't know if Todd went up to this to the hospital in Sioux Falls, but obviously his time, his emotions were just like his whole team. He said the entire Yotes team uh, was crying as they uh, got back into the locker room after a win, and uh, had had walk through slash film session the next morning for a three o'clock game, and still uh, he could tell all the guys were down. And it's just natural. He's uh, AJ's that well liked of a of a guy, as, and also obviously well appreciated as a player. And so I thought, well, Amude's got to score at least thirty here. To your point, they don't have much depth behind those two. And he goes like he he starts the game on an eight one run. Stanley Amude eight Bison one. Okay, there it is. He's got it today. And uh, Gilbert and I went somewhere to watch this game, and uh, you know there's others. We went to a sports bar, and. Um, you know, we were we were keeping our eyes on some things, and we were having a conversation, and we mostly it was the USD game was the focus, and uh, they kept it alive. They kept the lead for most of the first half, and then in the second half, they started to fall behind by a few, and then six, and then eight, and then the game gets over, and you're like, oh my, God. Moody had 39, he had 39, and they still lost by 12, and the, and those last five minutes, do do you feel do you feel like NDSU was just red hot, and they're not going to be usually that red hot uh or that's just how and i don't know you can tell me how good of a defender aj was because usd shot like 50 percent from the field they did and scored 77 so i don't know if they lost aj's defense but um you tell me if that was a real telltale sign the way that thing shook out uh i mean i wouldn't read too much into it for one thing i'm not gonna sit here and and break down the game i just kind of had it on it's not like i was covering it me too um uh, um but, you know, I didn't expect USD to win that game, even if AJ had been healthy, okay. just because if you look at how the, the there's more strength and parity at the top of the Summit League this year than there's maybe ever been. And those top four teams pretty much all split with each other all year. Um, so going into this last weekend with the Jacks knowing, okay, we have to sweep Kansas City and then get a split from USD NDSU. I felt like the hardest part of that was going to be for them to sweep Kansas City. I felt like it was a lock that USD and NDSU were going to split, and they did. And not because of you know any sort of X's and O's reason I'm going to give you. Once the Coyotes won on Saturday, I was like, well, the Bison are probably going to win on Sunday. That's how it's played out all year. It's really hard to beat a team that you are very evenly matched with two nights in a row. 
Um, USD looked really good on Saturday. I watched that game um, too, and they looked really good on Saturday. Yeah. You know, and then they they won that game. It's like, well, okay. I mean, un- unless things play out exactly the same way the next night, which they usually don't, Bison are probably going to win on Sundays. They did. Um, you know, I, I don't think. Yeah, it gives the Jacks that number one seed. They get to have the bragging rights of conference champs or whatever. But USD still finished eleven and four, which was a very, very good season. Oh, yeah. Um. You know, they got picked what fifth or sixth before the year in the in the conference rankings, something like that. I mean, they're still a good team. Like I said, you, you can't. And it's not like, um, it, it's funny. One of the reasons I felt like I was a little higher on USD USD this year going into the season than some other people was because of AJ Plitzewhite. You know, I, I saw him play at Augustana where he was the freshman of the year. And unlike a lot of USD and SDSU fans, I happen to, to know that NSIC basketball is pretty good. So if you're hmm. a freshman of the year player in that league, you're good enough to be an impact player in the Summit League. Uh, so I expected him to make an, a big impact there, and he did. So on the one hand, I'm sitting here saying he's the reason I thought USD would be better this year. But at the same time, I don't think taking him away automatically means, well, now they can't win anything because okay. it took more than just him – for them to kind of have the year that they did. So yeah. again, I still think they got a shot, but it's not as good a shot as it would be. For what it's worth, if uh, so, if SD if USD uh, gets to play NDSU in the semifinals, the two versus three game on Monday, a week from today, which uh, you know is a, a fairly safe bet, then AJ puts a white. Well, we just saw him against North Dakota State. He played most of a win on on Saturday and played well. And then they, you know, they lose by 12 without him, and the Bison were just on fire. They made 11 threes. They were 29 of 57 from the floor. Um, read as much as you want into that. And then against SDSU, should the Yotes make it to Monday uh, to Tuesday night for the championship game, uh, in his games against South Dakota State, and there were three, Plitza White scored 17, 19, and 20 points. He had six, five, and five assists. Uh, a uh, couple nights he shot about 50% from the field, and one night he was 3 of 11 in the uh, in the loss, the one loss USD had to SDSU. So, obviously he had an impact in those games, and uh, we'll see where it goes. And meanwhile, Noah Friedel against USD, should the Jackrabbits make the championship game, and I think that's a fairly safe bet. I'll ask you if you agree with that in a moment. But uh, Friedel against USD... Uh, his first game, he got tossed, of course. We remember that. He had 13 points in 16 minutes before he got tossed. Then he had 18 on February 5th uh, in Brookings. Uh, 18 points, 40 minutes. He was only 6 of 21 from the field. T- only 10 points uh, in a Jackrabbit win. Uh, I believe it was, yeah, it was a Jackrabbit win uh, to split that series uh, in Brookings the next day. So he scored 10, and his team still beat uh, USD. So I think the Jacks, to, to your point earlier, they can be just fine without Friedel. And they split in Fargo with North Dakota State uh, and were down to the last few seconds of the second game. And they almost sweeped North Dakota State without Noah Friedel. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so it sets up fine. It sets up fun. And uh, do you have any do you have any major inklings or do you feel like it's all kind of up in the air between USD, SDSU and NDSU for the men? Well, I, you know, the Jacks last year lost as a 2-7, right? Yeah. They had the, seven, the two seed. I guess I should now, granted, safely assume anything. You're right. So, and now granted, they didn't have Doug Wilson. And I believe the seven seed that beat him, it was Fort Wayne, right? I think that's who beat him in the first round. I thought it was Western yeah, Illinois I'm, again, but maybe I'm wrong. No. Uh, no, I'm, get, um, I'm getting my what I'm getting my games mixed but, up. But but I was going to say two years ago it was Western Illinois mm-hmm. when Western Illinois was one of the worst teams in college basketball, and the Jacks were one of the best teams in the mid majors. I mean they had Mike Dom as a senior with Tevin King and Skylar Flatten, and you know, that was and David Jenkins. I mean that was an incredibly good team going against a really bad team, and they lost. So, you know I don't think you can assume anything. Um, I do think they're going to beat Omaha because Omaha is really bad. Although they, you know, did finish a little bit strong for lack of a better word, assuming the Jacks get through that game, you know, then they're going to have to play potentially Oral Roberts in the second round. And that's an intriguing game. They split with them in Tulsa this year. And Oral Roberts has two of the best players in the league. Max Acemas is leading the nation in scoring. uh, And Kevin Obenor is probably the best, certainly most vertical or uh, versatile dynamic big man in the league. That would not be an easy game. Of course, well, Roberts has to beat North Dakota in the first round, and North Dakota's a deceptively good team. They got to the championship game in this tournament last year as a six or a seven, something like that. Six, I think it was. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I, I don't assume any matchups between any of those teams. You know, I, like I said earlier, this is, I think, as strong as the league has been. Um, you know, maybe the top end talent isn't as good as it's been. You know, I still think some of those uh, Jacks teams at the end of Nagy's tenure and, and at the end of Mike Dom's career were really, really good. Um, but you look at the Jacks, the Bison, the Coyotes, Oral Roberts, those four teams are all really good. Uh, and then Kansas City stepped into the league this year and was, I think, a lot better than most people expected them to be. They're a solid team. North Dakota had an up-and-down year, but they're a solid team. Uh, and then even the seventh seed, Western Illinois, or I think they're the... Yeah, Western Illinois any, seven. Yeah, they're the seven. Okay, yeah. It's hard to keep track of all these. I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, Western Illinois had a really good year this year. I mean, I thought they made huge strides under Rob Jeter, the gopher assistant who came in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost voted for him for coach of the year. I mean, they, they uh, re- really came on. And so, you know, obviously Omaha at the bottom is, is the closest thing to a pushover. But again, the Jacks have blown that game before. So... Um, it should be a wide open tournament. I mean, I think it's the exact opposite of, you know, obviously we'll get to the women where we all kind of think we know what's going to happen right down to the last game in mm-hmm. that one. Uh, on the men's side, I mean, it really should be wide open. And then when you throw in the fact that it's at a different venue and there will be no fans, and that could have, a, you know, a positive or negative impact on a lot of different teams. You know, maybe the Jacks men will be better off not having fans. Maybe the reason they've struggled hmm. so many times in the first round over the years is because they're not handling that pressure, you know, that they're too tight, too nervous, whatever it is that, you know, obviously the SDC women have sort of harnessed the, or mastered the ability to feed off that crowd, you know, to, to make that work for them. The Jacks men have not. So maybe not having that will help him. Who knows? By the way, Matt Zimmer gave us a little tease that he didn't even know he was teasing. Uh, his votes for the Summit League players, coaches, uh, defensive players, freshmen, newcomers of the year, all that stuff coming up in, in, in a little bit. And you know, one last thing on the men, because uh, you, you have a good point. It seems a lot more wide open. And I do think uh, the, the losses of Plitzel White, and Friedel for both of those teams kind of give anybody they play, anybody those teams play, just a little bit better of a chance of beating them, plus the lack of the hostile home atmosphere for any of their opponents. Um, and you also go back to uh, how the Jackrabbits are coming into this tournament. We know what the Yotes story is. They're they're playing great until they lost H.A. Plitzowite and didn't have any time to, to play without them against the third-best team in the league. I mean, I think North Dakota State's a great bet this weekend just because they've got all their guys. They're completely healthy. Uh, Absolutely. And, and they've split with both the Jacks and the Yotes uh, each of the last two weeks uh, heading into this thing. But y- you're covering the Jacks, obviously, and uh, so while a lot of attention was on what was going on in Vermillion, uh, you wrote about the uh, – th- th- there was a sweep over UMKC, and you mentioned how good they were or how reasonably good they were considering their they first – They won five in a row coming in. And, uh, what, they finished 7-7 seven and seven in the league, but they, lo- they they were without their best player. And you called it one of the craziest games you've covered. Uh, Eric Henderson in your story, the coach, was quoted as just saying that was just a tough game. Had to be a tough game to watch. It was a tough game to play. It was a tough game to coach, I guess, because – the refs were blowing their whistles a lot, but um, yeah, go ahead and explain how that. What are you doing? You playing with a pop bottle? Yes. <laughs> you uh, want to ask your question or what? How does it? Af- I'm trying to have a conversation. How does it affect the uh, the Jacks coming into the tournament? How, how do you feel I, like they're playing? I think they're playing pretty well. That was a a, a difficult series for them to get a sweep from because again, Kansas City came in had come in winning. Fi- they it's easy for me to talk tonight. They came in on a five-game winning streak. Uh, so to assume that the Jacks were going to get that sweep, I, I certainly wasn't assuming it. Uh, didn't seem like Kansas City played well. You mentioned they didn't have their best player. That was just for the second game. But still, um, that affected them. And just they played a weird style. Uh, they're a very physical team. They are among the national leaders in fouls. And in Saturday night's game, they had 30 fouls. The Jacks had more free throws made than they had field goals attempted. It was just one of the weirdest box scores I've ever seen. They only missed nine shots the entire game. And that was after Friday night. They only missed 14 shots because Kansas City was hell-bent on preventing them from shooting threes. Uh, they were slowing the pace. They were not crashing the board so they could get back on defense. It was just a weird strategy, I guess. It, it, it's not like it was a, a huge departure from what they do all the time. 
but the Jacks were clearly ready for it and more than willing to play at their kind of let, okay, if this is the kind of game you want to play, we'll play it. And they won both games pretty handily because they executed that so well. They shot 70% both nights, essentially. Mm. Uh, and that's because they were getting very easy shots underneath the whole game. Um, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it certainly doesn't hurt them to have won those games, earned the number one seed, conference champions, uh, snapped the winning streak of a good team, extended their own winning streak. I mean, that's certainly good for their confidence and all that going in. But that's such a, a weird style of play. Um, and, you know, I didn't get to see Omaha play this year because that game got canceled. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what Omaha is going to be bringing in, but it's certainly not going to be anything like that, I don't think. Um, so who knows? I mean, that, that's just a, a weird kind of game. I don't expect uh, Saturday's game to be anything like that. So I don't know how much you take from it other than just, you know, they're coming in on a winning streak. They're coming in with momentum. Well, they showed some discipline and some patience against a team that throws uh... – Kind right. of a weird thing at them, and that's that's great for this time of year in high pressure, high stakes games. Shot sixty eight percent from the field, and I actually thought the most telling stat of all this was, as you wrote, they're one of the best three point shooting teams in the nation, and they take a lot of threes. And I believe it was either last week or the week before, you were describing how uh, they at times get way too three point happy and lazy, right. and they only took fourteen three pointers in those two games. And uh, as you mentioned. The the kangaroos were trying to make it really hard for them to even shoot threes, so they didn't. But still, that there's uh they didn't. I chuck think it, it up. says a lot. Yeah, it says a lot that they were they had the patience and the stubbornness was the word that uh, they used to yeah. just say, all right, if that's what we're gonna do, that's what we're gonna do, and they obviously made it work for them. On the other side, uh, as we head into the Summit League tournament for the women, which uh, always seems to more consistently give us the jacks and the yotes. In the championship game, USD's women beat North Dakota State, who is the third-best team in the league, uh, twice this weekend. And uh, so they're rocking and rolling. They're the only of the four men's and women's Yotes and Jacks teams around here that really aren't missing a key player, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so it's going well for them, other than the fact that, of course, Don Plitzel-White, the head coach, had to live with uh, her son getting you know, brutally hurt. USD's women have some injuries, too, but... Um, uh they've been dealing with them for a long time. Yeah. Not something that came up at the end of the year yeah. and not someone who impacts things quite as much as Maya Selland alone, mm-hmm. uh, let alone Tori Nelson too, but they played this whole year without Monica Aaron's and a couple other injuries too. So how does it look like for the women now? Let's just say we get to the Jacks and the Yotes on Tuesday afternoon, one o'clock on ESPNU. Um, how much does it? Yeah. I think hurt? you can fast forward straight till Tuesday. I yeah. mean, I guess, North Dakota State is is pretty good. They're a better three seed than we usually have in this tournament, other than that year a few years ago when I think the Jacks were the three seed, when uh, it was UMKC and IUPUI were both – or Western Illinois and IUPUI. That was kind of a one-year mm-hmm. anomaly. It's yep. been the Jacks and the Coyotes for basically the last decade. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, North Dakota State is a better three seed than we've typically had. I wouldn't say they're completely incapable of beating USD, uh, but it's highly unlikely. And, uh, you know, even less likely that a four seed is going to beat the Jacks um, in that second round game. So let's, like you said, skip ahead to Tuesday, assume it's them. I don't really like the Jacks' chances. Uh, And I say that having just written a big, long column on how don't count out the Jacks just because they (laughs) lost those injuries. And, you know, both of those things can be true. Uh, I don't think you should count out the Jacks. Uh, I don't think that their season ended when Maya Sellen's season ended uh, because AJ's that good of a coach because they're a deep team. And because I think Maya Sellen was just so good and able to do so many things that, that she just, they just let her do a lot of those things. But now that she's gone, it doesn't mean there aren't other people available who can do some of those things just by spreading it around a little bit more. Tyler Irwin is showing in the last couple of weeks here that, She's been capable of doing a lot more than she's been asked to do for the last, you know, however many years, really. Uh, kind of the same for Peyton Burkhardt. Uh, you know, some of their freshmen are starting to play better. Madison Blaston's been a great shooter for them, and they need shooting so desperately. Uh, if they can get Haley Greer and Lindsey Thunick going, who have both been really inconsistent, uh, that would go a long way. Uh, they're still a very good team. They're still capable of beating USD, even without Maya and Tori. They're still capable of winning an NC tournament game. Having said that, mm-hmm. uh, beating the Coyotes three times in one year, as good as the Coyotes are this year, was going to be tough anyway, even with everybody. 
You know, it's easy to sit here now and go, oh, well, the Jacks went 14-0 and and USD went 12-2. and The Jacks have won 18 straight. They're the, all those things are true, but they got to play USD both games at home. They never had to go to Vermillion. That's, you know, an advantage. That, that t- skews it a little bit. USD has quietly had a very, very good season again themselves. Um, so, again, I would have liked USD's chances – to win that third meeting on a neutral site, especially again, there's no gonna be not gonna be a crowd yeah. factor this time. I would have liked their chances anyway. Now you take Maya Sellen and Tori Nelson out of there, and I just think that's asking a hell of a lot. It's right. essentially the same situation you were in last year, uh, where the, the Jacks, you know, didn't have Maya Sellen in the conference tournament. USD was loaded. They had basically this team plus Kira Duffy. Um, I thought the Coyotes were gonna roll in that game, and it's very much to SDSU's credit. Uh, that they fought and found a way to make it a game, even as as shorthanded as they were. And I think it's going to be a similar situation this year. I think even though they're undermanned now without those two players, they're going to find a way to fight and go toe-to-toe with the Coyotes. But I just think asking them to win that game, again, not having the crowd to lean on, I expect USD to win that game. Very fair. And Aaron Johnston in the Summit League tournament is like, Tom Brady anytime you just don't ever underestimate that uh, you just don't do it especially the bigger the game gets the the dumber it is for you to, to doubt or or pick against him and in AJ's case his team however you mentioned I mean I'm going to address the crowd and selling and playing off of your point about the crowd or or the way the Jacks always seem to find a way to to win and almost did last year when USD was uh, frankly a much better team and that's that's not saying SDSU wasn't a great team but that's how dominant the Yotes were last year and but I this is where I do think and yeah I'd, I'd love to hear your response where not having that giant crowd yes the SDSU men have wilted under that the SDSU women hardly ever do there is something about always being back in the Denny and before that the arena but always having that giant mm-hmm. tidal wave mm-hmm. of blue momentum on their side and you can see how it visibly you and I sit courtside you can see how it visibly shakes the other team and that has included USD time and again um, you know at least yeah. one of Don Plitzer White's teams was better than the Jacks and still it's like it's a here we go again type of thing it's just lightning in a bottle whenever they play in that building with that crowd. Well, they're not in that building, and there isn't that crowd this time. And, I and uh, look, we don't know for sure what's going to happen because we haven't seen that situation yet with these two teams in the Summit League tournament, but I'm guessing it favors the Yotes. The other thing is Selland against USD in Brookings twice. Uh, 17 points, five rebounds the first night in a in a 19-point win, and then 26 points, uh, 9 of 18 from the field, in the uh, second day win, of course, that was the big comeback where uh, U- SDSU came back with like seven down with three minutes left. In that, Maya Sellen in the last minute of that comeback uh, got the bucket to make it a three-point game. Then she got the bucket to make it a one-point game. Then she got the steal uh, that led to a Tylee Irwin bucket to give them the lead. I mean, she was most impactful on the three plays that put them over the top. So I'm not doubting that they could win without her. But uh, yeah, without that crowd and without Maya Sellen, I'll, I'll go USD on that. Yeah, there you me go. too. Do, am I going too far with the uh, with the thing about how this is not in the Premier Center and that crowd isn't there and and we might not see the same old Jackrabbit magic? I mean, that's what we don't know. And like you said, I mean that that no team, men's or women's, has uh, used that crowd to their benefit as much as SCSU's women. So that certainly there's no way that isn't a factor. But another thing we should mention here that we haven't before we move on to whatever else. SDSU's women are already in the NCAA tournament. They are going to get in. Uh, if they get beat by USD, uh, they have done enough. They're 21-2. and two. If you assume they were to make it to the tournament championship and lose, that would leave them at 23-3 and three with uh, two wins over the team that would have knocked them out, a very, very good team that will in turn be going to the NCAA tournament themselves. Three other wins against ranked teams, uh, that 18-game winning streak, and also they will have gone 6-1 and one since losing two of their best players to injury, proving that they're not, you know, just a shell of them former self, their former yeah. selves and a team you don't want in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so I think they're good. Uh, a bigger question will be if SDSU does win the, the Summit League tournament or, or somehow NDSU does, is USD going to get in as an at-large? Do they have the resume? It's really hard to say. That's I, I have no idea. I think uh, if NDSU were to somehow be the team to win the conference tournament, 
I don't see the Summit League getting three bids. That NDSU gets the automatic, and SDSU and USD both get an at-large. Uh, but if the Jacks win the conference tournament, having you know run the table, that they'd be 24 and two at that point with 21 wins in a row, you know, ranked in the top 20. Yeah, you know, they're you know probably looking at a five seed or something like that at that point. And USD, well, certainly they'll be disappointed that they will have gone 0 and three to the Jacks and didn't win any of those big uh, games they had opportunities to in the non-conference, they still had a hell of a season. And like I said, didn't get a chance to play their biggest rivals at home. They're going to have a very compelling case for an at-large bid, but is it going to be enough? Will they get taken? I have no idea. And that would, in that, in that scenario, that will be fascinating to, to see how that plays out. Well, where do, where do we go for the closest possible answer, supposedly from people who know a lot more than you and I about the entire landscape of college basketball? We go to Bracketology, and I guess the guy who's the guru there, the Joe Lenardi for the women is Charlie Cream of ESPN. He does have the Yotes right now in at number 10. Number 10, a 10 seed. So uh, they're not even like any of the last four in or the last four out as of now, and I doubt that would change if they make it to the finals and lose to SDSU. But, uh, you know, it's college hoops. It's uh, conference tournament time. Crazy things happen, and um, I guess we'll see. But having said that, USD's far less of a, a surefire bet to be an at-large team, as you mentioned, as the resume states. So they'll have more to play for if they, uh, you know, if they play the Jacks, which we expect on Tuesday afternoon, but that might, that might, that could go for or against them. They have more to play for. So they're more desperate, whatever hairs on fire, or, you know, there's more pressure on them to win that game and that might backfire. So that'll be fun. So I did the, I want, I'd love to ask you your, uh, we can go through this quickly if you'd like, because uh, these are a lot of categories. So who's your Summit League? Uh, do we really need to do defensive or freshman or newcomers of the year? Does any are, are, Men or women, do any of those compel you that you think we need to talk about them? Do, any well, of them USD or SDSU players? Um, I'm trying to, well, I'm going <laughs> to actually post my vote tomorrow, so I don't want to give them all away anyway, but I'll I'll give you some of the big ones. Okay. Um. Maya Sellen did get my vote for Summit League Women's MVP. Um, if that had happened, you know, a little earlier in the season, it might have been h- harder to justify giving it to someone whose season is over. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I think she's going to be a slam dunk. I don't think anyone else is going to take that vote away from her yeah. either. She's the Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, women's Coach of the Year, Aaron Johnston, to me, slam dunk. I mean, what can you say? They ran the table, first time ever, yeah. uh, and they did it, you know, in a season where they weren't the prohibitive favorite. Everyone picked USD, including myself, before the year. Uh, so AJ gets the nod there, pretty easy one. Uh, on the men's side, uh, Todd Lee got my vote for Coach of the Year. Like I said, I did consider uh, Rob Jeter because I think he did a great job at Western Illinois in his first year there. Uh, but Todd Lee, again, you know, came within percentage points of winning the conference title on a, a team where just the, there weren't super high expectations, certainly outside that program, but you didn't even really get a sense that there were real high expectations within the program either. Now that could have just been them, you know, wisely keeping quiet about it or whatever, but uh, they had a great year and I don't think a lot of people saw it coming. Uh, that, that, that was a relatively easy choice for me. Uh, and then men's MVP, that was tough uh, going down to the wire. I still had a lot of different candidates. I will say for whatever reason, uh, SDSU didn't even have a player nominated. You couldn't vote for a Jackrabbit for MVP. Hmm. Uh, Baylor Shireman, I think, would have been in my top three. Probably would have been third, um, but he, he couldn't even vote for him. And uh, and all, same thing with the sixth man. I would have voted for SDSU's Luke Apple as the sixth man of the year. Wasn't even nominated. I don't know what the hell's going on with that. But anyway, um, I ended up going with Max Asmus uh, as the MVP of the league. Uh, if USD had found a way to win it, I might have given it to Amude, but even still, Asmus was just incredible this year. Like I said, he leads the nation in scoring. Uh, he's been really impressive all year long, but especially down the stretch here, he got my player of the year vote. Yeah, when there's a, like 350-plus teams in America and you lead the nation in scoring, it's tough to vote against you for player of the year in your conference. So, And it's not like they, he was doing it on a team that was – you know, yeah. four and 12 or yeah. something. I mean, yeah. they, they, they also were very close to winning yeah. the conference. All right. Matt Zimmer, John Gaskins, nobody's listening anyway, ready for the summit league tournament starting on Saturday, just before noon. And then there's football going on as well. And uh, I mean, th- this could have easily led the podcast for a second straight week because it's Looney Tunes right now. Um, how long have I, I've, I, I, I hate myself for not knowing this and not looking it up. How many, Games had North Dakota State won. What streak were they on after they 39. lost? 39. 39. 
My God. I mean, we could go Jacks or Yotes here because uh, those were compelling games. But uh, 38, not that just that they lost to Southern Illinois, but 38-17. Uh, how did that happen? And, and, and what do you make of it? No, no, I didn't watch it. But, <laughs> okay, um, all right. It, it, it uh, you know, there had definitely been a lot of whispers that NDSU is down this year. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, COVID moved everything around. They were supposed to have Trey Lance. They were supposed to have Dylan Radins. I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name, but uh, the offensive lineman who's going to go to the NFL. Um, and then they had a lot of other players that opted out for various personal reasons. Then one of their best running backs uh, blew out his knee in the first game of the year against Youngstown State, and they didn't look great in that game either. Uh, Youngstown State I don't think is good at all this year, and, and the Bison kind of had a ho-hum victory there. Now, I didn't think Southern Illinois was all that good because they got the shit beat out of them by North Dakota last week. Now, as it turns out, maybe North Dakota's, but, you know, it's, it's obviously all this is related. It's been this, these first two weeks have been this weird sort of, you know, transitive property of comparing all these teams beating yeah. up on each other. Um, but certainly it, it looks like NDSU um, is as vulnerable as they've ever been. I mean, it's one thing for them to lose a game. It's another thing for them to get their asses kicked by a team that, just traditionally isn't that good even when even when southern illinois is good they're not that good like you know their 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 better years have typically been okay they went seven and four because they were just good enough to beat the other sort of second division teams but they would get their asses kicked by sdsu ndsu illinois state whoever so that is, is a huge huge development that, that north dakota state lost that game and it's also why the jacks lost to north dakota is just so crushing because you kind of look at it and go, oh, my God, this is the year. The door is finally open. North Dakota State is vulnerable. Maybe they're even not very good. And this is the Jacks' chance. But they lose a game. And I'm not saying, you know, losing on the road to North Dakota, who appears to have a pretty darn good team, that in itself isn't, like, the most unforgivable thing. But for one, because of COVID, because of the smaller schedule, smaller playoff field, there's a very limited number of, of – uh, at-large playoff bid. So if the Jacks don't win the conference, it's going to be really hard to make the playoffs at all. They could end up not making the – South Dakota State and North Dakota State could end up both missing the playoffs. Like, that's a possibility. And then just on top of that, it was so obvious early in the game that the Jacks, like, holy shit, they look good in the first quarter. Second week in a row, they come out just gangbusters, looking incredible. And second week in a row, they just blew their chance to put them away. Uh, against Northern Iowa, you know, they had a, a fourth and goal at the one-yard line that ended up, they, you know, they go for it and don't get it. You know, some other missed opportunities. They can go to sleep in the third quarter. You know, we're lucky, I think you could say, uh, to find a way to win that game. Now here against North Dakota, they come up, boom, go right down the field, score a touchdown, get a stop, start going down the field again. Mark Gronowski throws a perfect pass in the corner, corner of the end zone. Jaden Yankee drops it. If he catches that ball, it's 14 nothing halfway into the first quarter. I mean, I'm not saying the game is over at that point, but it's kind of like we're rolling here. The route is potentially on. You've got a chance to run them out of the building before they ever really get going. And even if that doesn't happen, it's just a totally different game. If he catches that ball, I'm pretty sure the Jacks win that game, something like, you know, 27-17 or something like that. Uh, But instead, you go from being up 14-0 to, okay, now you have to try a field goal. You miss the field goal, so you don't get any points. North Dakota goes right down the field. 14-0 becomes 7-7. It's a 14-point swing. Um, And that's just the, you know, you get away with that once the week before against Northern Iowa. You can't expect to get away with it again. And as soon as Yankee dropped that pass, I kind of thought – it's they're going to lose. This is you can't they're, you can't keep living dangerously living dangerously mm-hmm. like this. Um, and then to their credit, particularly Mark Gronowski's credit, uh, they continue to make some big plays and kind of hang in there for a while. But then for the second week in a row, they come out of halftime in a game where they had a lead that was smaller than it should have been. And instead of saying, you know, okay, we should be ahead by twenty instead of seven. Now let's go out there and kick their ass. They do the exact opposite and come out in the second half and just go to sleep. And, you know, I don't know how much of that is the players just kind of being flat or whatever, or coaches getting out coached. Uh, John Stiglmeyer did not in any way uh, take responsibility or put it on his coaching staff for, for getting out coached in the second half or any sort of adjustments that were made. He just kind of was like, Hey, you know, we didn't make plays. And mm. some people have interpreted that as him throwing the players under the bus. I don't think that's, true necessarily like if if the players are screwing up i don't don't have a problem with the coach saying hey they didn't do their jobs like i don't buy this idea that it's unclassy or whatever for coaches to 
Like they're supposed to fall on their sword. Like if, you know, Jaden Yankee dropped that ball. That was the biggest play of the game. No one's picking on him. That's just a fact. Um, you know, the, we asked him about the, I asked him about the special teams miscues, a block punt, a block field goal. He wasn't trying. He was just like, yeah, on the block punt, somebody blocked the wrong guy. Guy comes in unblocked, blocks kick, block field goal. Guy just didn't try hard. Play got blocked. I mean, if that's what happened, that's what happened. Um, but also, you know, you just look at what has happened in two weeks. The Jackson went out scored 34 to 10 in the second half of two combined games. Both third quarters were complete disasters. Uh, whatever you're doing at halftime, it's not working. Uh, whether it's the speech you're giving or how you're treating players for being banged up or, you know, adjustments you're making, whatever it is, that's two games in a row that the third quarter was a complete disaster. Uh, so that's something that they definitely have to address. And, you know, I, regardless of what Stig or anyone else says publicly, I would hope for their sake, that's something they're looking at as we speak going, all right, what the hell are we doing at halftime and what can we do better? Because two weeks in a row, we look great in the first half but blew our chances to put the game away and then shit ourselves in the second half. <laughs> well, at least they have identified a consistent issue. Uh, and and by the way, wh- what about the quarterback play of Gronowski? You've mentioned him a couple times. I I was watching the fourth quarter with a, uh, with a football player from a college in town here in Sioux Falls and um, having a beer and enjoying the, the game and seeing if SDSU could make the comeback down 28-17 last six or seven minutes. And... Uh, what this uh, astute football player noticed was Gronowski kept missing high, and he and and he didn't know that much about SDSU football. And he asked me, "Is that is that kid a, is that quarterback a freshman?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, that's when they miss it high like that. That means they're 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 inexperienced and they're kind of shitting their pants, you know." And um, but what, what what how would you evaluate his play overall? Because obviously, uh, what they score twenty four in a win against a great defensive club is always in UNI. But the Jackson only scores 17 points against who is now the number four ranked team in America, North Dakota. I mean, good for them. But um, yeah, Gronowski in the offense overall. What do you think? Um, 17 points isn't a very good number, but they did have 400 yards against a pretty good defense. Um, my biggest question mark for this offense has been uh, wide receiver and the vertical passing game, and they blew that shit wide open. I mean, they could not have looked better in the first quarter. Uh, Gronowski made some incredible throws, um, throws that, you know, Taron Christian, Austin Sumner couldn't have done any better. He looks like he's got a real chance to be special. Um, and J- and Jackson Yankee uh, <laughs> was explosive. He had seven catches for 160 yards. He had another touchdown called back. Um, I'm not quite ready to say, okay, yep, I'm fully on board with him being a number one receiver, uh, but I'm a hell of a lot closer to being convinced of that than I was before. He looked fantastic. Uh, and Jaden Yankee had a good game too. He just had one really crucial drop that hurt him. Uh, so that's if, if that can continue, if they can continue to have a dangerous downfield passing attack where they're not relying so much on just dinking and dunking with their tight ends and running backs, that's going to make them a lot better. Uh, Gronowski didn't play as well in the second half, but again, um, he, he played great in the first half, and it wasn't his fault uh, that the game got away from him. And it, it's a much different situation when you're behind on the road on the, in a dome trying to come back. That doesn't you know, necessarily excuse bad throws or whatever, um, but he, that's just not a situation you want a, a freshman quarterback making his second career start. You don't want to put him in that situation. They know he's got to throw the ball in that situation. Uh, they want to have you know, the element of Pierre Strong, you know, play action all that kind of stuff fourth quarter you've got mark gronowski and and in spite of what i just said about the yankee twins those guys they're not dallas goddard they're not jake winicky that's not the same sort of thing uh so the jacks were in a real tough spot there that's not where you want gronowski you don't ask him to do that at least not at this stage in his career uh, so i don't think that's really on him um you know whether it was you know missing opportunities and special teams defense i mean gronowski did have a crucial fumble uh, that led to some points. The block punt was huge. They just don't want to put him in that situation. Um, and mm-hmm. I thought uh, Jackson Yankee said it best. No one asked him about it uh, in the post game press conference, but he just said, he's like, I can't think of one negative thing to say about Mark Gronowski through two games. Well, he's like, great. he's been outstanding. And well, I mean, if you watch the games, has he been perfect? No. Uh, but a true freshman having thrown for 500 yards and four touchdowns in his first two games and making some of the throws that he's made, in my opinion, he's been the biggest bright spot on the team so far. Cool. But, and it, yeah, it's unfair to ask a lot of him as a freshman with two games under his belt, but when you mentioned that they can't, they might not be able to lose again if they want to make the condensed NCAA uh, FCS field, 
that doesn't speak well when they don't want to be in that situation where he's having to guide them back because chances are they're going to be trailing in a fourth quarter again by seven or ten points just looking at the teams they have and maybe the rankings mean less than they ever do because you know usd played their first game and they vault uh, into the poll from unranked to number 12 just by beating number seven illinois state who falls to 14 and then above them <laughs> in this conference you have uh, and teams that uh besides north dakota teams that the jacks still have to play north dakota states three then there's und then uh, am i looking at the right thing i guess well what i'm looking at is the usd or sdsu is number five in the country um, There's a couple different ones. Okay, yeah. I mean, one of them has UNI number three now, which seems weird given yeah, that yeah, the Jacks beat them. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the schedule does not get any easier for them. It's, and I think they might have the luxury of losing one more game and getting into the tournament. Uh, three losses, I don't think it's going to happen. So that severely uh, affects their margin of error going forward. Um, but who knows? I mean, the, the, if if – if NDSU is vulnerable and you and I and SDSU are vulnerable too, maybe everyone's going to beat up on each other. And True. someone's still obviously going to get the automatic bid. Right now, North Dakota is in the best shape to do that. But who knows? They could very easily lose two or three games. I mean, they've they've won two so far, but it's not like they've been amazing in doing it. Maybe every, you know, maybe the whole league is going to end up four and four. And then you know you have your your automatic qualifier champion and. You know, then maybe one team gets an, or uh, one of the at-large bids, or who knows? I mean, it's what you know. Who's surprised? You know, we're playing college football in the spring. They've had a year and a half off, a hundred some practices. This is this weird sort of asterisk season. It doesn't count towards anyone's eligibility. I mean, the fact that the first two weeks have been super crazy and all this weird stuff has happened should be like the least surprising thing ever. That should be honestly what we've expected, and probably the next couple weeks will just continue to be like that. Does that mean this season, or at least, I'm not saying means less, but should be taken less seriously? I know it's a very dark way I mean, of looking at it. but Yeah, that's kind of what we said about the Major League Baseball season, right? Yeah. I mean, they played these 60 games in front of no fans. You know, do the L.A. Dodgers feel like their ring doesn't count? Of course they don't. You know, they, they played in the World Series, and they won the World Series. Uh, but I think everyone looks at that season and goes, well, that was kind of, a, it's kind of an asterisk year. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, that's how we can – and do and sort of should look at everything, all the sports seasons that have gone on during this pandemic, even college basketball that we just got done talking about this season, other than not having fans has been pretty close to normal. You know, there's been a couple cancellations. That's something you don't normally see, but for the most part, everyone got in 20 games and is going to play their conference tournament. It's been somewhat normal, but I still think everyone kind of says, yeah, this is just a weird year. And that's why it doesn't count towards anyone's eligibility. And you can kind of consider it like a, you know, a freebie, I guess. Well, it makes it fun. Uh, When it comes to Valley football, you're going to have the Jacks at Western Illinois or hosting Western Illinois on Saturday at 2. Who knows? I mean, normally you'd say should be a Jacks win, but... It's uh, 2021, YOLO. Uh, USD yeah. is at UND. So the Yotes are just flying high after forcing seven turnovers on an Illinois State team. We don't know if they were overrated or rated correctly yeah. at number seven, but that's a big win with a brand-new quarterback and having not gotten to play in their first game. Uh, Carson Camp seems to be you know, getting a lot of people in his camp that wear red. Uh, not, quite the, not quite the runner, the prolific runner or athlete that perhaps both Austin Simmons and Chris Strebler were. But I was listening when on the radio broadcast when John Thayer and Jay Elson, who sounded awesome together, uh, especially for two guys who weren't at the venue, uh, mm-hmm. were mentioning that uh, Carson Camp, uh, you know, he, they Thayer calls him scoring a touchdown part of that second quarter where they were behind 17-0, and then they tied it at 17, and he ran for a touchdown. He only ran for 20 yards in the game, but the touchdown he ran for, again, I'm not watching, I'm listening, they said, yeah, this guy doesn't have the speed or the moves uh, that Streveler and Simmons have, but he knows what to do with the football, and he's very smart with it uh, for a guy his age. So true freshman. Uh, so it's an exciting start for the Yotes, and uh, they'll know a lot more about themselves when they play UND. Who is, you know, I mean, they've uh, the, yeah, UND's rocking and rolling. If the Yotes win that game, they're in the discussion to be number one team in the country. I mean, they probably wouldn't be number one, but they'll they'll certainly be up in the top five because mm. that's North Dakota. Literally in two weeks has gone from unranked to, I think, three in one poll and four in the other. Um, If USD wins that game, and I wouldn't be shocked if they did, 
like I said, this spring football season is absolutely crazy. And meanwhile, North Dakota State goes to Missouri State. So maybe maybe we'll get some semblance of normalcy out of that result on Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock in Springfield. Okay, uh, I know it, we're, we're close to an hour here. Both of you, both you and I have to uh, split soon. We haven't talked much about Augie or USF all season for hoops. Uh, to your pandemic craziness, uh, pandemic pandemonium, I think all four teams, Augie and USF, men and women, they were all good teams, solid teams that could make a lot of noise coming into the year, vie for Northern Sun South titles, and then uh, make some noise in the Northern Sun tournament. And in the end, none of them really do it. They all had decent years, but we'll see if any of them make the regionals. I think the team with the best chance is probably the Augie women. Uh, A lot of injuries came into play, especially at USF. Um, And... uh, that Augie men versus Northern State men's game in the first round, that was, uh, that was something else. And uh, some people who uh, watched a bunch of those Northern Sun games declared that that ended up being the championship game for the men with Augie taking Northern to the wire. Second year in a row. I mean, it's the exact same thing. And it's unfortunate that Augie has, keeps getting that four seed and has to play Northern in that quarterfinal game. But that's the Vikings' fault for not having a better regular season. Uh, having said that, you know, Augie – Matt Cartwright's arguably their best player, and they just cannot get him through a full season healthy. Uh, they had other injuries this year. And again, like we just got done saying, everything's weird this year. It's goofy. I don't think you know you hold anyone too accountable for anything that happened in a weird year like this when games are getting canceled, you know, all this sort of stuff. It was just a weird year. And I think for Augie's sake, maybe there's a little bit of silver lining in just how well they played in all, almost knocking off uh, a Northern state team that could very well win the national championship mm-hmm. in division two this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, similar story with USF. I mean, they, you know, didn't even end up getting into the conference tournament. They had some games canceled that that obviously could have made a difference. I mean, they lost games against Concordia, a bad team. They almost certainly would have won both of those games, yeah. two games canceled against Winona. Let's say they split those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you add three and one to where they are. I think they're in the tournament at that point. So tough blow for them. Uh, you know, like you said, I think Augie's women had, uh, you know, for them to win the South, anytime you, you can hang up a banner, which they can as South Division champions, in a year like this, you take it. Will they get into the postseason? I don't think they're going to because it's a smaller field this year. But maybe. We'll see. Um, good year for them. And Kraut, you know, setting some milestones, I think. And then and he was uh, coach of the know, year, right? I think he got coach yeah, of the year. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and then, you know, for USF, I mean, I'm sure it was disappointing for Trap just in that, you know, all the injuries and Hannah Jones, their starting point guard, quits the team and they have all this, right, all this stuff going on. But he had no idea really what what they were going to be like this year because they, you know, last year they have like seven seniors, this sort of historic team that has all these veteran players that all move on. You know, he, he comes into this year going, well, let's roll the balls out and see what happens. And the fact that they, until Hannah quit and they had some other injuries, you know, then Anna Breck doesn't play at the end too. <laughs> Um, you know, they didn't have a chance at that point, basically. But the fact that they were playing as well as they did before that <laughs> speaks pretty well for, A, for Trap as a coach, getting them that far, and B, um, for, for their future going into next year, they should they should be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I mean, they started on fire. I got to do a few of their first games uh, on the road, and Megan Fannin out of Watertown just went for 23 in her very first game, and then she got hurt, and uh, maybe that was a fluke, but I, she'll probably be a big factor. This uh, Dally Hoskinson transfer from Kansas was uh, one of the leading rebounders in the Northern Sun at 5'6 as a guard, uh, and she had to play point guard a lot when Hannah Jones either was injured or had already left the team. Uh, but they were without all three of those plus Anna Breck, so they had no chance against Duluth. And uh, so it's kind of a lost year for them. They need more punch in the post, and I'm sure Trap can find it. For the USD men, uh, they just need more scoring punch. I mean, it's weird. Two years ago, they have probably the most prolific players they've ever had in Trayvon Evans and Drew Gebert at the same time. And they don't, you know, they don't win the Northern Sun South. I can't remember how far they made in the tourney. But, I mean, that's where you wake up, and, and just as long as those guys are healthy, every game you're like, we got a chance because these guys can fill it up. And then the last two years, he's had a he's kind of a scoring, uh, not bankrupt, but, uh, you know, just uh, they're going to have to grind. They've been winning ugly. They're going to have to grind out ugly. games 60 to 59, and you're just not going to win all those games. It's really tough right. to – you can win any of them, but to win – two or three of them in a row and to and it's just it's you're gonna have a tough time doing that uh he hopes tessie powell will change his mind and come back because he is a beast but uh the, i think the overall story is 
it was a weird year. Maybe some of those teams underachieved or had lost kind of, you know, just had un- or had a- just unfortunate things happen. But uh, all those programs are strong. Augie USF men and women and, you know, they'll be expected to be really good again when things are a little hopefully more normal next year. Uh Anything else, Jacob Knuth to the Gophers? There you go, Zim. A great, a, a good, or or at least a um, sought-after prospect in high school football in South Dakota does not go to Nebraska. And I got word from one of my friends in the Nebraska media, a very trusted one, that uh, Scott, this was about two days before you wrote the story about Jacob Knuth committing to the Gophers and PJ Fleck, that uh, Scott Frost and his crew were on him and they were interested. And uh, PJ they would have the they would have offered him eventually. There were oh, a lot yeah. more. Uh, I heard Notre Dame was in was in uh, Michigan State. I think uh, a lot of the schools, Northwestern, basically every, the Big Ten, everyone in there. I think, uh, and yeah, I even told Jacob when I talked to him, I was like, "Thank God you didn't go to Nebraska." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's really good. Um, he's you know I had heard before the season, uh, Curtis Riggs had told me that he thought he was the best quarterback in the state, and obviously. You know, I trust Curtis quite a bit, as as you do too. I was just surprised because you know you got that Chase Mason, um, who's you know getting FBS looks and some other some other great quarterbacks around the area. I was kind of like, wow, is he that good? Uh, and then you saw him in person, and it's like, oh yeah, he's got the total package. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's six foot four. He can run a four six forty in that frame. Um, I, you know, I, I I certainly don't want to put too much pressure on the kid but he could go to minnesota i mean from what i from what i gather he is the quarterback of this recruiting class so they envision him being a starting quarterback in the big 10 and we all know that if you are a starting quarterback in the big 10 and a good one that there can be more opportunities beyond that so um super happy for him uh can't wait to watch him play again this senior year because he's a really special yeah, kid. a lot to be said for six four having size and strength uh, and running a four six forty i was really surprised nebraska wanted him because and i'm not kidding here because he probably he, he's more of a pro style as you mentioned and they they like to run their quarterbacks into the ground they like to have runners as their quarterbacks and i mean he can run he is a dual threat but he's more of a passer you know he's more of a traditional like he likes to you know they, they like to get him in rhythm with short passes earlier in the game and then Go deep, and uh, gosh, he's got an arm. And uh, it's so, even the Nebraska beat writer that I talked to about this once it was all said and done, everybody's just as happy for Jacob Knuth as you are because Nebraska beats the shit out of their quarterbacks. I mean, Scott Frost is running. He ran Adrian Martinez into the ground. He's a shell of himself, and uh, they don't have offensive lines, and they just expect the quarterback to make the play on every freaking play. And uh, you get, yeah, you get beaten down and you're playing for a bad team. I hope that changes at Nebraska and maybe Jacob Knuth would have been part of the change, but I don't, yeah, I don't blame him for going to Minnesota. So, well, Zim, it's been fun. I think I'm going to go on a nice long run. Isn't that nice? I'm going to go on a nice long run now. I'm not. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week. That was fun. All right, John. See ya. Matt Zimmer. Argus Leader, read his stuff, follow him on Twitter. A busy week for him as he'll be covering the Jacks at the Summit League Tournament uh, in Sioux Falls without any fans. Uh, And, of course, Jackrabbit football, which, uh, let's see, Jackrabbit women play at noon on Sunday or Saturday, quarterfinals of the Summit, and the Jackrabbit men play at 545, and the football team plays Saturday. They didn't even give him a break. They gave Brian Henschen, who covers like six different beats, uh, a break. By having some USD football on a on a Thursday at 5 p.m., so he could even cover the Yotes at UND and still keep track of uh, Class A and B like regions <laughs> for his high school beat. And wrestling's out of the way, so that's good. Uh, I love Brian's picture of like the four different screens he had: TV and computer or monitors of uh, all the crap he had the the great crap at a great time of year for sports that uh, he had the privilege of covering as someone who covers sports for a living. But man, these two guys, um, I'll buy him. Dr- Whenever I see them again, I'll buy them drinks. I'll put it that way because they are covering a lot. And, uh, but yeah, Hank gets a USD Thursday, 5 PM game. Zim gets uh, at least they, at least they kind of space it out for him uh, with the Jackrabbits women at noon and they'll pol- They should polish off. Who do they got? I got it right here. Omaha, the Omaha women. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so they'll polish off the Omaha women in about an hour and a half. Then football starts, and uh, he'll track that. And that should be a blow. It should be a blowout. That'll be over by 4.35 o'clock, just in time for the Jackrabbit men at 5.45. So 
He's busy. I appreciate his time. We appreciate yours. And again, uh, you can't go to the games. If you're a Jacks or a Yotes fan, go to the Gateway, uh, where they have over 30 TVs. So no matter where you sit in there, you're going to have a big high-def TV of the game, of the games, other games and other sporting events going on at the same time as well. It is a, a fantasy land and, uh, you know, make the most of it. And if you're like me and uh, look, I like going to sports bars. I like hopping, hopping into the gateway every now and then. I, uh, you know, I'm in between Zimmer and probably a lot of you and a lot of South Dakotans when it comes to how they handle going out while we still have a pandemic and South Dakota is still top 10 in the nation in the per capita COVID cases and deaths, but man, um, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to places when there's not a lot of traffic, when there's not a lot of people. Um, and, uh, but for, for those of you who are ready to go, uh, to the gateway, great go. Um, and for those of you who are probably going to be like me and, uh, watch these games on TV, aren't we lucky? We'll say it again. Aren't we lucky? To have the Midco SN crew. I mean, uh, the way they have covered the games all season long, but certainly the Northern Sun Tournament, David Brown's, the, it's the David Brownathon. Amazing. Uh, 13 and a half games in uh, four days at the Pentagon. And uh, Brad Newitt, Greg Steeman, the analysts, and then, of course, Neiman, Jay Elson, uh, Jody from up north. Alex Heinert at UND. I'm probably leaving somebody out. Please don't, please don't be hurt by that. But from not just the announcers, but the technical crew, it just feels so big time. And so for Midco SN's sake, would we prefer to have the whole thing at the Denny for there to be 10,000 people at a men's game, seven or eight at a women's game? Yes. But uh, man, uh, I am excited and happy for all those folks at Midco who put in all those hours because... They'll get a few more eyeballs since uh, that'll be a lot of people's only, well, it's pretty much everybody's only option unless you're like Zim and you get to be there. So enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Don't know if we're going to do it again next Monday night before the championship games or on perhaps Wednesday after the championship games, but we'll do it. And uh, somebody will be listening anyway. You did. For Matt Zimmer, I'm John Gaskins. Bye-bye. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. <laughs> Fuck you. Casino <laughs> round drinks? Yes. Yeah.